the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Hello, and welcome to In the Word, a ministry of Calvary Chapel of Orlando. We hope that God speaks to you today as we continue our study, verse by verse, chapter by chapter, with Senior Pastor Will Ramirez in the book of Luke. Praise to the God who reigns above. Luke sought out eyewitness testimonies to write about into a letter showing Jesus' humanity and deity. Christ came down and healed many people. He healed the sick of their infirmities, cast out demons, cleansed lepers, caused the blind to see, and raised people from the dead. Most importantly, he forgave man their sins in order to restore a loving relationship between them and the great and amazing God that created them. The religious elites of the day, the scribes, Pharisees, and Sadducees, hated Jesus and wanted to see him dead. They continually criticized him. Jesus used parables to teach the crowds. Jesus shared a parable about a sower sowing seed. He used parables to distinguish the people that truly wanted to follow him. We join Pastor Will in Luke chapter 8, verse 11. Everybody's tuning Jesus out. The crowds are there. They're coming. See, here's the problem. God wasn't saying, you know, I I don't want people to be converted. I don't want people to be saved. God wants stubborn people to be saved. He wants stubborn people, hard-hearted people to be converted. The problem is, is in Isaiah's day, it wasn't that they were all out stabbing each other in the back and not going to church and blaspheming the name of God. They weren't doing that. They were going to church. You have to read the first five chapters of Isaiah to understand that. In chapter one of Isaiah, the Lord says, all your celebrations to me, they make me want to vomit. Because you show up and you do all the religious things and then you go home and you're nasty to your wives. You're home, you're nasty to your kids. You're nasty to your neighbor. You don't mean it from your heart. You're not genuine. You're just going through the motions. And see, the idea is if Isaiah came with a different sermon where he said, hey guys, here's exactly what God wants you to do. They'd go, okay, so we do that and we're good. And they would convert and everything would be healed and look better when in reality, they'd still be far from the Lord. It's not that God didn't want them to not convert and be healed. It's that they would just go through other religious motions and no change in the heart would occur. So he says, Isaiah, you preach the same message over and over again until they listen. And there will be some that listen, but it'll be few. What had Jesus been doing since he came? Same message over and over and over. Repent, right? Repent for the kingdom of heaven is close. Let me ask you something. Does that sound confusing? Do you think people walked away and go, I don't understand that preacher. Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. What does that even mean? Turn my life around because God's coming soon. I don't know what that means. Preacher, I wish the preacher made more sense. I wish the preacher made less sense. I wish the preacher, preacher preached too long. Preacher preached too short. Whatever it might be, the point is, no one's coming away with that response. You have only one response to that sermon, to either repent or to reject. Now, the fact that the crowds are still coming and yet Jesus only has this small group of disciples, what does that tell you? They're not repenting. Here he's speaking to them plainly because they're actually listening. 
But he's not speaking to the others plainly because why? They wouldn't listen to him even if he spoke plainly. See, if they said, what's this nonsense? He's teaching in parables now. This guy's lost his mind. This whole prophet thing's gone to his head. He's got a Messiah complex. He's lost his mind. Well, if Jesus said, hey, guys, sorry about that. Let me explain it to you. Their response wouldn't have been any different. So Jesus isn't going to give them the explanation. He's just going to give them the parable. Because if they won't respond to the truth they already have, why would he give them more truth? The idea here is that Jesus had been clear with them. He wasn't confusing. He had preached repentance. But did they listen? No. See, despite all the miracles Jesus did, all the love he showed them, all the hope that he gave them, only a small group listened. So Jesus still ministered to the crowds. He still spoke to them. But because they were tuning his teaching out, he just spoke in parables now to them. Now, if you were really listening to him and you truly wanted to know what God wanted for your life, you would go to him and you'd like the disciples and you'd go, hey, Jesus, uh, pardon me, man, but I don't understand a word what you're saying, but I want to. I want to. Will you help me out? I promise you this. Jesus would have turned to him and go, hearing you don't hear and seeing you don't see. No way. Because when the disciples came to him, he explained it to them clearly. The only people that did come to him were the disciples, so they were initiated into the truths of the kingdom. Which brings us to the point of the parable. Am I good ground for God's word? So Jesus explains the different types of ground. He says, now the parable is this. The seed is the word of God. And we need to stop there for a minute because that's important. It's so important. Because we need to know two important things. There's nothing wrong with the message and there's nothing wrong with the messenger. Jesus, nothing wrong with him. All the prophets God sent, nothing wrong with them. The scriptures have nothing wrong with them. Proverbs 30 verse five, it says that every word of God is pure. It's untainted. That's why the best thing for me to do is just read it and explain it. You know, not get up here and do whatever. Read it and explain it. Get out of the way, preacher. In Psalm 33 verse four, it says the word of the Lord is right. It's never wrong. There's nothing wrong with it. You know, I remember when first planted the church over in Sanford, we, we would come here on Sunday morning sometimes when nobody came to church. And uh, there was a worship leader here who, he wrote a song based on that psalm. The word of the Lord is right and all his works are done in truth. You might remember that song. And I was stuck in my head because it was scripture. But it's true. There's nothing wrong with the message. And there's certainly nothing wrong with the sower. So that means every seed is fully capable of springing into life no matter what ground it falls on. It's not the seed's problem, which means the sower is genuine. He's making a genuine offer to everyone, even those he know he knows will reject him, even them. Now, that means the problem of why someone isn't saved doesn't lie with the sower or the seed. It lies in the choices made by the listener, of which there are four kinds you can make. Now, the first type of listener and the first choice is a bad one. It says, those by the wayside are those who hear. But then comes the devil and he takes away the word out of their hearts, lest they should believe and be saved. Now, what's interesting is Matthew says the word sown in their hearts. He takes away the word sown in their hearts. And that's fascinating to me too because it means that God always plants his word in men's hearts. God doesn't just haphazardly throw seed out there and well, whatever happens, happens. No, he takes it and he plants it in our hearts. Now, what do we do with that? I mean, that's what when we read in James, our scripture reading, it talks about the implanted word of God. But the only person who benefits from it is a doer of the word. If you just hear it 
and you either ignore it or you reject it, then what's going to happen? The enemy is going to come and snatch that up and it will be no good to you, even though it's perfectly capable of doing you all the good you need. It will be no good to you. That brings us to a question. Have you been coming to church or going to Bible study, but just kind of going through the motions, figuring it'll come in handy at a later date when you're ready to obey the Lord? Jesus says, is saying you're deceiving yourself. You're deceiving yourself. You're only becoming harder. So get off that road and get into the master's field. Now the next type, it says, is the bedrock. Those that are on the bedrock are those which when they hear, they hear God's word, they receive the word with joy. But these have no root, which for a while believe, but in a time of temptation they fall away. Now the word there, receive, it means to readily receive information and regard it as true. You hear the word of God and and you think, this is what I need. This is good. I am so happy I heard this. And that sounds like a good response, right? But the problem is when a time of temptation, literally a time of examination or testing, the word temptation there means to examine the genuineness of something by putting it through a test. Matthew and Mark say the test is persecution. So the idea is when God allows persecution to come into that person's life, it says they fall away. Mark says they become offended. They're angry at God. The word fall away, it means to abandon a former relationship. They bail on God, basically. See, God's promises and God's truths were great as long as following the Lord improved their quality of life. But once persecution came, they decided following the Lord wasn't worth it, and they bailed. 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 5, it talks about what the purpose of God's commands are. It says, now the purpose of the commandment is love. God doesn't give us a commandment so that this is how I'll be blessed. If I just do all these things, everything will work out for me. God has to do this if I do this. Don't ever listen to a preacher who tells you that God is duty-bound to do whatever, whatever you ask him to because he's got a contract to keep with you. God is a debtor to no man, the scripture says. He doesn't know you squat. Everything he gives to us is out of love and out of mercy and of his grace. Now, God honors and blesses obedience, but again, it's because he's gracious and merciful, not because we've put him in our debt somehow or he's legally bound to do something for us. The end of his commandment is love, that we just love him. And that love is out of a pure heart and out of a good conscience and out of a faith unfeigned, King James says, it means out of a sincere faith. I mean, that's what following God's about. Lord, I love you from a true heart, a good conscience, a sincere faith. That's what God wants from us. That's what he's after. And that's what doing God's word is about, not trying to put God in my debt. Because if you're in a legal relationship with God, the moment you think he's not doing your part, uh, doing his part, you know, by blessing you, then you're gonna bail on him. Now, does that describe your relationship with God? You're always trying to put him in your debt, trying to do things that'll get him to... God, you know, I did this, so you know, you've got to get me that promotion. It's time to get off the bedrock and get into the deep soil to really fall in love with the Lord because then you'll follow him no matter what happens. The third type of ground, it was the, where the thorn bushes were. And that which fell among the thorns, the thorn seeds, are they which when they have heard, they go forth and they are choked with cares and riches and pleasures of life, of this life, and they bring no fruit to perfection. You know, it's interesting, Jesus' sermon was what? Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is close, right? Turn around, make a change. You know, you're going this way, it's time to start following the Lord. But here, this people, they hear, 
But do they turn around? No, they just go right back to living. Instead of repenting, they decide to partner following Jesus right alongside all the other priorities that existed in their life. And the result is those priorities that they had that are now, Jesus is a priority, but he's not the priority. Those other things begin to choke out Jesus. They begin to choke out that relationship with Christ. They begin to overshadow it and overwhelm it so that the priority isn't Jesus at all. Now, it's interesting that Jesus here lists three things that can do that in our lives. Number one, the cares. The word there, cares, it means anxieties, apprehension about future misfortune. I know many who have given up their faith because they refuse to believe the truth that God is good. They just, they think they understand how life works. They think they understand how the world works. They don't think they understand how God is. And they just refuse to follow the truth of the scriptures, which says God is good. He loves you. He's got a good plan for you. Just keep trucking. Nope, I don't believe that. I think God's mad at me. Nope, I don't believe that. This is just how the world works. The reason they think that way is because the Lord has never been the Lord. They've never repented. They've never given up their idea of how life should be. So if that's you, reject that lie. Get out of that thorn bush and get into God's good soil. The second thing mentioned is riches, which means the pursuit of possessions. You know, if you're gonna follow the Lord, but hang on to the pursuit of possessions, you're gonna eventually grow to resent the Lord. In Matthew chapter six, verse 24, Jesus tells us you can't have two masters because you'll either love one, you'll love one, end up loving one and hate the other. You'll resent the other, be bitter at the other. And if you're pursuing possessions and the Lord's saying, but I want you to do this, and you go, yeah, but I can't have this if I do this, you're gonna begin to resent all the demands the Lord places upon you because you're still pursuing this. And that means riches aren't necessarily evil. Again, what we do with them, if they have us. Someone said, it's not that you have possessions, but if possessions have you, that's when it becomes a negative. Lastly, it mentions here the pleasures of this life. The phrase is really simple. It means that which someone is fond of doing on a daily basis. So it's not sinful. It's just what you like to do on a regular basis. So if you are really into Gator football, all right, And if you are, praise the Lord, you're a good fan. We don't want any Seminoles here. No, just kidding. But if you are a huge Gator fan, okay, and Saturdays is the day, and that is a thing you do, there's nothing wrong with that. Like there's there's nothing sinful about that. But here's what happens if that is a priority in your life still. When your kids want your time and the game's on, what are you gonna do? You're gonna resent having to spend time with the kids. Or if your wife says, hey, we'd love to, you know, we'd love to go out. You know, let's, let's, let's do this this weekend. There's a couple other couples from church that are gonna go do this. Hey, can we do this? And you're like, that's the week the Seminole Gator game is. I mean, that's the game I've been waiting for all year. You're gonna go because you know it's the right thing to do, but you're gonna resent it because this is still a priority. And that's what Jesus is getting at here. Eventually that priority will overshadow all the other things that God's asking you to do. And so when God asks you to deny yourself, you're gonna resent it. You're gonna resent it. So if you're going to be a Christian but refuse to let God be in charge of how you spend your time, that your calendar's always open, even when that most important thing is coming up, you're gonna resent the Lord and eventually you're gonna wither away. You'll never grow to maturity, it says. It says you'll bring no fruit to perfection. That word perfection means to produce ripe, mature fruit. You're always gonna be a rotten apple. Maturity won't occur because the truth is you're not really following the Lord. You're still following yourself. 
And I ask you this morning, does that describe your relationship with God? Whether it's with the cares of this life, whether you're always anxious about stuff and you just won't believe God's good, or whether it's pursuit of possessions, or it's just, you know, the things that you like doing in life. If you've never repented of having that be a priority in your life and making him the priority in your life, then repent. Repent today. Because the only way to truly find life is to lose yours. God loves you. Trust him and leave that thorny bush you think you still need behind. Now, while many of Jesus' listeners fell into those three categories, some, like the disciples, truly believe. And so it says, but on that good ground are those, and here's how it describes those, which in an honest and good heart, in a, mature, in a sincere and noble heart, having heard the word, they keep it and bring forth fruit unto with patience, which means with perseverance to the very end. The only difference between the three bad grounds and this one good soil are the choices made by the heart. And the choice of this heart was to be sincere, to keep his word and to persevere. The word there to keep, it means to make it your own. See, a person who embraces God's word, they make it their own by committing to live it out no matter what, to the end. And they grow to become mature. They follow the Lord unto the end. Might we think, okay, now we understand it. But the truth is, Jesus still hasn't made his point. He's only explained the meaning of the, the various grounds, uh, soils that are there. So what is his point? Well, in verse 16, Jesus starts by giving an illustration. He says, guys, no man, when they, he has lighted a candle, covers it up with a glass or a bowl, or he doesn't put it under a bed. He puts it on a candlestick so those who enter into the home can benefit from the light, know where they're going, Right? Jesus used this illustration to show how we need to live godly in public as a testimony to others. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify God, right? Well, here he's using the same illustration but for a different purpose, verse 17. He says, for nothing is secret. Nothing that you try to keep secret, it shall not be made manifest. Neither is anything hid. Neither is anything tried to be kept concealed that shall not be made known and come abroad, to come in clear and plain sight. Many people in Israel during Jesus' day, they had the appearance of godliness, but they belonged to that first group who they really didn't take it to heart at all. God tried to plant his word in their heart and they rejected it. They didn't embrace God's word. So the idea here is that they looked religious, they looked moral, they looked spiritual, but someday it would be revealed the true condition of their heart, the true soil. It would be revealed. And that shows us that religion, morality, generosity, hospitality, you name it, they're only of value if they're preceded by repentance and genuine faith. The question then is not am I religious, moral, spiritual, generous, hospitable, nice, any of those things. The question is how am I listening and responding to God's word? That's the question. And that's Jesus' point, verse 18. Therefore, here's his point. Everything he said, the story, the explanation, everything, it comes to this. Therefore, take heed how you hear. Therefore, take heed. You must pay close attention to. It's imperative. You've got to do this. You must pay close attention to. You must watch out for how you hear. Listen, you can be here today, but completely ignore the sermon. You can be here today and completely ignore the loving exhortations of others when you have a conversation with them after I'm done rambling. You could listen to my sermon. You could listen to what other people are actually saying, not completely ignore them, but not embrace the truths that are being spoken to you. You can even hear what's being said, 
by me or someone else and say, yeah, I need to do that, but never repent. And even more important is that you can do any of those things without even realizing it if you don't make a point to pay attention to the condition of your heart. How are you hearing? I guarantee you there is someone here today who has heard my words but is not listening. And Jesus is calling them to not do that. That's the point, which is the whole point why he told a parable in the first place, because no one was listening. See, if anyone had sat down to think about it for a minute, they would go, I'm not doing it. I'm missing the point. And when they would come to Jesus and he would give the explanation, they would realize that's the point. I've missed the point. I've not been listening. I don't want to do that anymore, God. I want to listen to you. Because if you and I are not paying attention to how we hear, we will grow hard toward God wherever we're at in our spiritual journey. Now, if we do pay attention to how we're listening, wherever you are in your spiritual journey, you might think, man, I've got so far to go as a Christian, but I promise you this, if you will listen and really take it to heart, you will grow. You will grow and you will finish that race. That's what Jesus says here. For whosoever has, to him shall be given. Even if you've only got a little bit of faith now, even if you only have a little bit of knowledge about Jesus, you might be bungling fools like some of these disciples were. But you know what? They finished their race, didn't they? They finished their race and they grew and they matured. So even if you have the smallest of faith, smallest of knowledge, if you come here and when you read your Bible, when you're interacting with other believers and you're receiving from the Lord, you go, God, what do you have for me? I wanna listen. You will grow. On the other hand, I don't care how long you've been a Christian, but if you hear somebody talking, you go, yeah, I've heard that before. Or you just kind of aren't really grabbing hold of it and embracing it. He says, and whosoever has not from him shall be taken even that which he thinks he has. A long-time believer, if they don't pay close attention to how they're listening, they will begin to backslide but think you're just as spiritual as you used to be. An immature believer will slowly slip away from church, slip away from Bible reading, but still go, I'm, I'm a follower of Jesus. An unbeliever will grow firmer in the rejection of Jesus all the while thinking, but I'm open to truth. No, you're not. You're getting harder and harder. Now, do any of those results sound good? Wherever you're at in your spiritual journey, not at all. So let's not do that, amen? Amen. And what better time to re-examine our heart condition, to give it the attention it needs than the Lord's Supper when we remember what Jesus did for us on the cross. Before we do that, though, and, and as the worship band comes forward, Jesus illustrates this point with one last thing here. Look at verses 19 through 21. Then came to him his mother and his brothers, and they could not come at him because of the press. And it was told him by certain which said, your mother and your brethren stand outside. They want to talk to you. And he answered and said to them, my mother and my brethren are these which hear the word of God and do it. Now why were Mary and the brothers and the Bible says the sisters were there too? Why were they there? Mark 3.31 tells us because they, they wanted to rescue him from embarrassing himself even further. All the buzz was around going, Jesus has lost his mind. He's talking in parables now. And they thought, oh, we got to get him out of here. He's got a Messiah complex and now it's gone to his head. He's talking nonsense. And so they're coming to get him out. They're not coming to listen or to talk to him. They're coming to pull him out and get him out of this crowd. And so when Jesus is told, hey, they're here for you, he knows why they're there. And he says, my mother and brethren, who are they? I'll tell you who they are. They're right in front of me right now. The ones who are listening, the ones who want to learn. See, what's interesting is Jesus' family didn't hear the buzz from Nazareth and then travel all the way to wherever this was by the sea to come get him out of trouble. They were in the crowd too, but they weren't listening either. 
They weren't listening either. They didn't ask for an explanation. And that shows what kind of ground they were, which explains Jesus' answer here. Now, if Jesus' own family, who'd been around him more than anybody, they needed to re-examine their heart condition and repent, then are any of us above self-examination? No. If Mary, who'd been visited by an angel, could become hard, then so can you and I. Because being a part of God's family isn't about proximity to Jesus. It's not about being in the crowd. Everyone had that. It's about embracing what he says. And only the disciples did that. So as we take the elements and the the ushers pass it out, I would encourage you to hold on to it. And as we sing, let this be a time where you remember Jesus' love for you, but also where you decide to examine your heart and say, Lord, I want to be a disciple. I want to be a learner. There may be many people that claim to know God, but often most people only know about God. To be a fan instead of a follower, to make God into just a ritual instead of drawing closer to his presence and opening the heart up to hear from him. God wants our heart. He loves us. But we must seek him in truth and humility. To be ever pursuing a God we can know, but will never fully know this side of heaven. God reveals himself when we seek him with our whole heart. If you have any spiritual or physical needs, please contact us. We would love to pray for you and assist you in any way we can. You can reach us at Calvary Chapel Orlando at 407-523-0800 during our office hours Tuesday through Friday, 9 a.m. to 4 p.m. This has been In the Word with Pastor Will, a ministry of Calvary Chapel of Orlando. You can listen to all of Pastor Will's sermons and find other valuable resources online at www.calvarychapelorlando.com or on the Calvary Chapel Orlando app, available on iTunes and Google Play. Thank you for joining us today. We will see you next time as we continue to learn, walk, and live in the Word. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.